Welcome to the Tinnily Talks podcast, where we dive into the common legal issues facing today's community associations. Whether you're a manager, board member, or homeowner, you're sure to pick up on some nuggets of advice to help you build a successful community in this ever-evolving and changing world. Welcome to Tinley Talks, the show that breaks down the legal issues affecting community associations. I'm Ramona Acosta. And I'm Steve Tinley. And today we're talking about insurance with Michael Berg. Hello. Mike is the owner of Berg Insurance Agency and has been a licensed insurance agent since 1999. He's very active in CACM and CAI, where he served as the Orange County Chapter President in 2016. And he holds the CIRMS designation through CAI. What is CIRMS? Certified Insurance Risk Management Specialist. So that took you a lot of work. Yes. There's a commitment in the uh, in the process in how much time you spend educating for CAI, how much you work with CAI, um, and how many communities actually you work with uh, in the HOA world. So. so I would say if you have the CIRMS designation, then that means that you are an insurance agent who specializes in homeowners associations. This is You probably have all different types of insurance, but this shows that you are an expert in... HOA. This is absolutely specifically designed to show our expertise, if you will, in in the HOA world. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Pumped to have you here. Um, Stoked to be here. Honestly, I mean, I know just for our firm, you've been a huge outlet in explaining these things. I think an insurance professional by far is the other type of professional discipline that we as a law firm work in tandem with. Because essentially what we do is the same thing, right? We're here to kind of mitigate risk and resolve problems when they arise. I, I couldn't agree with you more. more. I have more conversations with attorneys than I do with anybody else yeah. I mean, other than, of course, managers. But, you know, in the disciplines, yeah, I get calls from attorneys. Hey, how does this work? I'm asking attorneys, hey, you know, we've got this. This thing looks like it's going to be a, a, a legal matter. Can you help me give, give, give me some guidance on, on that? So, yeah, partnering with attorneys is key for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, just the topic of insurance, I know, especially for, you know, unseasoned board members, newer management professionals, it can be confusing. I know at times, sometimes I get confused about it. Can you just kind of explain, right? Because everything's, okay, what's insurance, right? But in HOA arena, right, there's there's two primary types of insurance. Can you just kind of walk us through this? Absolutely. So I think, I think as consumers and board members, sometimes we get or they get a little overwhelmed by all of those circumstances, all the new things that they're being introduced to, and really the understanding of how this, how we are going from, I guess, got elected to a board member to be a board member, but it's really I'm now responsible for the operation of a multi-million dollar corporation. That, that that reality to some, if they take it, if they take that reality or they take that that truth to heart, um, I think the operation of the community becomes much much better. But it's a scary thing, and insurance because it's so. Because it's so much in our in our typical day to day lives, we say I have to buy insurance. My auto insurance, I have to buy auto insurance. I have to buy homeowners insurance. So I sign the paper, I pay the premium, and I hand it off to somebody else. I don't really understand what it is that I'm buying. Insurance is not just one big bucket. It's actually two main buckets. It's a, a bucket of property insurance, which is insurance for things we can touch, and it's liability insurance, which is insurance for trip, fall, slip, fall, things I did wrong or somebody says I did wrong. Um, but in order to understand insurance in general, it's actually easiest to take it out of the conversation entirely and pretend it doesn't exist just for a moment. That's interesting. Okay. So let's pretend insurance doesn't exist and you own a house. Okay. You have this property. You have a risk of financial loss to your property. 
That's why we call it a risk. You have an exposure. You might have to go into your bank account and spend money. Those things that you're going to spend money for, you have to manage in some way. You have to manage that risk or put together a risk management program. And the first piece of that is I've got a risk. I've got something I'm worried about. How do I deal with it? I avoid it completely. I'm worried about a tree falling on my house. I get rid of the tree. I have no more worry about the tree. Right? I've avoided that risk. If I can't avoid it, then I need to think about how I can control it. I'm worried about water coming through the roof. I make sure I maintain the roof. I take two annual regular inspections. I make sure to do regular maintenance. I paint my house on a regular basis. I do all of those maintenance projects or in an HOA, what the reserve study does a lot for, right? Um, I, I maintain or I control much of that risk. If something's going to happen, I'm going to know that it happened early enough where I'm not going to spend a fortune trying to fix what happened. If I can't avoid it and I can't control it, then I need to accept it. I just need to accept that I have this exposure to loss, this exposure to a financial loss for owning this piece of property. Well, that's a lot of things that I have to accept because what did we not add, talk about right there was fire. We didn't say fire. I have to accept the damage caused to my home or in an HOA. I have to accept the damage caused to the community because a fire started. I don't have the kind of money in the bank in order to accept that exposure. What do I do? I transfer it to somebody else. That's insurance. The insurance company is in place to accept that transfer for a cost. We call it premium, right? And there's some conditions. We're not going to accept the transfer of everything because we might as well just own the property and have that money in the bank. So we're going to list some things. We're going to call them perils or events, things that can damage that property or things that can occur. And for this premium and this other condition we'll call the deductible, we'll get into that a little later, we are going to accept or allow you to transfer that risk to us. That's what the insurance is all about. So when it's property, it's things like fire. In Southern California, fire, water damage from a burst pipe, wind, hail, maybe once ever in a blue moon. Um, we don't have any freeze thaw. We don't, thank God, have things that are going on like happen in Texas. And on the, uh, on the liability side of things, it's the common area, the, the space that many people are in, sidewalks, maintaining the sidewalks, um, streets, pools, that sort of stuff. So that's the difference between property insurance and liability insurance. And as you said, you know, property doesn't cover everything. So there are certain things that are excluded. Absolutely. Mudslides, mold. Yes, there are, there are perils. There are events that we don't cover. Uh, landslide, settlement, slope movement, that's not covered. Mold as a peril, that is mold as an event, isn't covered. Actually, water as a peril isn't covered. No coverage for water. But we add back water damage by a certain occurrence of water. We add back coverage for the damage caused by water that is from a sudden and accidental discharge, a burst pipe. So if I could make a claim for water damage, not covered. How did that water end up in my home? It happened because a kitchen pipe or uh, an angle stop under the kitchen or in the bathroom burst. Therefore, I have a covered loss. Got it. So on the topic of water, because I think that's the most typical day-to-day thing, especially, you know, those management professionals that are working with condominium associations. Mm-hmm. 
not a week goes by where we get some type of hypothetical or real life situation where someone asks me, Steve, we have this homeowner that uh, it's an angle stop that's within their unit, and according to our CCNRs or our maintenance matrix, this is a homeowner maintained item. Sure. Okay, so what's the problem? Well, this homeowner maintained item, Steve, failed for whatever reason and caused a significant amount of damage to the homeowner's unit. Mm -hmm. And the unit below. And the unit below. So we told the unit below is now contacting us saying, what are you going to do to fix my unit? And we told them, well, the reason why your unit was damaged was because of your neighbor upstairs and something that they're required to maintain. This is not the association's problem. Fair. Right. So then it gets into a situation of, well, what we see with our clients, and I typically refer to it as them conflating the idea of maintenance Versus insurance, right? Absolutely. Just because the association is not obligated to maintain something within a homeowner's unit, it doesn't necessarily mean that the association's insurance coverage wouldn't attach to that. Can you explain that for us? So it's commonly misunderstood, or at least it's expected, that insurance and maintenance are the same thing, and they're not. In fact, the insurance section of a, of a CCNR and a maintenance section of a CCNR are very different things. They're, they're very different animals, and they read very differently, Right. The maintenance responsibility of this property is clearly defined. And the insurance responsibility of the HOA is clearly defined. I say that in general because mm-hmm. sometimes it's not. Yeah. But the maintenance responsibility of the HOA and the maintenance responsibility, and I think we've actually changed these, these words around, right? We've, we don't use maintenance anymore. We use repair replacement. Yeah. So, well, I think I think to even make it more clear, I mean, let's talk about the ice maker line on the washing machine or on the on the refrigerator or the sure. washing machine hose or the dishwasher, where these are clearly so, homeowner components. Right, homeowner maintained components, and the association, the CCNR says the association is responsible to repair, replace the structure of the building. By and large, in general, stand in the threshold, put your hand on the outside of the building and your hand on the inside of the unit. The association is responsible for the property, the space between your hands. That's the walls, mm-hmm. the structure, mm-hmm. as from a repair and replacement responsibility. The unit owner or the homeowner is responsible for the repair and replacement of all the property on the inside. Everything that extends from the interior surface of the drywall into that airspace. So kitchen cabinetry, appliances, all these types of Maintenance, things. repair responsibility, homeowner, unit owner, no question. Mm-hmm. The question becomes where are they going to get the money to make repairs to that property if it is damaged by the failed angle stop, the ice maker fill line, the backup of a kitchen drain? Mm-hmm. Where are they going to get the money? Well, is it, there, is it insured by them? Because they could get it from their insurance company. Mm-hmm. They might use their own money. They might choose, nah, I don't want to bother anybody i got some money in the bank i'll use it uh yeah i got a rich uncle eddie i can spend money or i might have bought insurance for this that will cover this exposure this occurrence of water damage Mm -hmm. the sudden accidental discharge of water so which insurance company am i going to talk about which insurance company am i going to ping trigger yeah ask for ask Mm -hmm. for so just, just on that point right because we have the homeowner right that had their dishwasher or their ice maker line fail for whatever reason Mm -hmm. this is a homeowner maintained homeowner repair replacement responsibility the homeowner let's assume that they have their own insurance policy but there's also the association's insurance policy yes and let's say in this hypothetical you have the homeowner that contacts management saying there was a damage in my unit we need to get the association's insurance carrier involved. And a lot of times I get board members that write to me and say, wait a second, 
Right. We're not going to file a claim on our policy, and they use our right as a replacement for the association's. We're not going to file a claim on the association's policy. This was your ice maker line that mm-hmm. failed. Yes. This is on you, homeowner. Yes. The, the ice maker failed line is the responsibility of the homeowner. And the property that is damaged is the responsibility of the homeowner, the unit owner, to fix. But there could be an insurance policy. We may have transferred the cost, the risk of loss, to an insurance company. And in fact, many times, and hopefully more often than not, there's actually two insurance companies that are going to be involved. There's going to be the HOA policy, mm-hmm. and there's going to be the unit owner policy. Mm-hmm. So which one comes first, the chicken or the egg? Thankfully, many CCNRs, many insurance policies, and absolutely lenders have defined this for us. They say the HOA policy comes first. Lenders won't lend on a property unless the HOA policy is primary or it is triggered first. So when we're looking to an insurance policy, we're looking to where that unit owner is going to get the money to fix the property they are responsible to fix. We're going to look to the insurance for the HOA first. Is there coverage in the HOA policy? Is the cause, is the co- for number one, is the cause of loss something that we cover? Is it a covered peril, covered event? Is the property that was damaged by that covered loss covered cause of loss, is it, uh, is it covered by this insurance policy? And number three, is the cost of repair, mitigation and repair, in excess of the deductible on our policy? Okay, so that's a technical analysis, and I understand all that, but help me, help me get this principle straight first before you... This is the homeowner's ice maker line that failed. Right. And the association's insurance policy is involved, and we've got to file a claim on the association's insurance policy because this homeowner didn't do the right job maintaining... Why, why, why is this policy triggered in the first place? This is there for the association. It's not there for the homeowner, right? I mean, yes, yes it is, but it is purchased in the, for the benefit of the membership, number one. Number two, my dues as a member of the community pay in part premium for this HOA insurance policy. I'm an insured. It's my policy just as much as it is anybody else's in the community. And therefore, I have a right to the coverage afforded by that policy. See, that's the gold nugget that I think a lot of people don't understand, right? When they say the HOA's policy is the HOA's policy, but really, who's the intended beneficiaries of the policy, right? It's the individual homeowners. So the benefit of the membership. Because you defined it, right? What's the cost of the insurance policy? It's the premium. Where does the association get the money for that premium? From you, me, and everybody else. From the homeowners that live in the community, right? So just by saying, yeah, the homeowner has their individual policy, but they also have a second policy that they, quote, own. (laughs) That's the association's insurance policy, right? And actually, more technically... They have a second policy that is theirs. The primary policy, the first policy, is the HOAs. Got it. And then the HO6, condominium unit owner's policy, will pick up where the association's policy leaves off. So just to wrap up this point before we go on more, I think it's really important people understand the association's policy is not there only for the stuff that the association does wrong or things that break that the association is, quote, responsible to repair, right? That association policy is there to protect certain losses, right, for the benefit of the homeowners. And in this situation here with a broken ice maker line, to the extent that there's coverage on the association's policy that's primary, the association should afford the homeowner the benefit of the insurance policy that they paid for through their assessment payments, right? Absolutely. And you want to invite a lawsuit? Tell the homeowner they can't. They can't do it, yeah. Right? So we deal with that a lot. I mean, I could understand it, right, just like, just from conceptually, why does the association's policy have to pay for this homeowner? Well, because it's not the association's policy. It's everybody's policy. It's everybody. This homeowner's paid for this policy, so exactly. we need to give the homeowner access to it. Well, exactly. and what's interesting is that 
that kind of that type of conversation typically happens in the water loss type of claim because if we had a fire if Nobody we had a, asked that question if before. we had a kitchen fire and and the homeowner is negligent and leaves the towel next to the gas the next to the gas flame right and burns down the building you're right the question never comes up the association calls the fire department we put out the fire we we file the insurance claim and it never even becomes an issue right it's it's the appliances and the pipes where this becomes an yeah. issue and and a lot of times it's because the perspective is it's not my pipe it wasn't my property it's not my problem the, the unit owner or the the association that was your pipe that was your angle stop that was your ice maker fill line that's not our problem that's not our pipe right but and Ramona touched on it what about the unit top to bottom what if a, what if the pipe that bursts is in the floor in the space between the floors and water flows downhill but it's the responsibility of the unit owner upstairs to maintain this pipe that's in the floor but when that pipe bursts water flows this way not up yeah. flows down not up is the unit owner well is the unit owner upstairs responsible liable we'll get to liability mm-hmm. liable for the damage that that the water did because water flows downhill and gravity works like what you hear so far make sure to subscribe to the tinley talks podcast at tinleylaw.com and never miss an episode this podcast is made possible by listeners like you thank you for your support now let's get back to the show so what we've been kind of preaching over the last year if you will is a manager a community manager should be advising the board that they need to take a bigger interest into what's going on even if the damage is completely contained inside of a unit there's a potential that there is some level of common area responsibility here and especially if it's connecting between two units mm-hmm. the space between the walls is probably common area. exactly so the association has some responsibility for the repair and replacement of common area mm-hmm. so if we ignore it from the board's standpoint and say it's the two units unit owners they need to deal with it we're telling them to take care of common area exactly which which is shouldn't be done so just to simplify for those that are listening hey we have one neighbor next door that had a problem in their unit damaged the other unit you know next door to them there's two units involved so it's for them to work out well how did how did the water get from unit a to unit b well it went through the wall well that wall's common area so you're never going to have a situation really where there's two units impacted by some type of what would you call it, loss or peril or something to that effect without the association being involved. And I think it's almost equally as rare for one unit to be damaged, at least significantly without comment, because what about the drywall? I was just about to say, yeah. you know, how many times do you read a CCNR and the definition of the, the end of the responsibility of the association is the interior unfinished surface mm-hmm. of the drywall. Mm-hmm. It's not the unfinished surface of the stud the drywall gets nailed to. Mm-hmm. It's the drywall. So big picture for this, it's important for people that are listening to understand what the association has an obligation to maintain and repair is set forth in the CCNRs or as a maintenance matrix that your community might have, right? Doesn't necessarily track what the scope of the association's insurance obligations are. In fact, most commonly, they're, they're wildly different from each other. And if you have a situation where there's a property damage claim, even if the homeowner did something wrong. They hired a boneheaded contractor. They themselves did something wrong, right? They installed their ice maker line incorrectly and it caused a problem. Yeah, the homeowner might have messed up, 
but that doesn't mean that that homeowner is not then afforded protection under the association's insurance policy because that's really what the homeowner has purchased through his or her assessments, right? Well, and let's, and let's get into that too because, yes, the, the maintenance section and the insurance section are completely different for a reason. There's a reason why when those original CCNRs were drafted – that they that it said that the association's insurance was going to be primary. There's a reason why the lenders require that the association's insurance be primary, and that's because the association owns, or as tenants in common, all the owners own those structures, and so there is a. Well, how do we rely on one person to do the right, right thing when we have a hundred people? Yeah, right. We we got We got We got We got to herd the cats in some way. Right. Well, not only that, but when the when something can affect the building. I mean, we had a nightmare scenario where an association said, "Yeah, the homeowner. We knew that there was something leaking in their unit. We told them it was their obligation to take care of, and we sat on it. We didn't file an insurance claim, and because of that, they sat on it. It triggered the exclusion right under the policy. It wasn't a sudden and accidental thing anymore. Not anymore. Right. And this claim, which would have been a relatively small claim, ballooned into a multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars claim that the association didn't have insurance for. Right. So, I mean, it's just a nightmare scenario. So I think it's really important for boards to understand that insurance product is there to protect the association, yes, by extension, by protecting everything intentionally or unintentionally a member could do that could potentially damage the assets of this multi-million dollar corporation. And these are the types of things that just this base level understanding, I feel, is missing in so many boards of directors, which is why I appreciate what you do, especially the efforts that you take with educating your clients about these things, right? You go out, do you meet with them annually, typically? I, I meet them with them as often as I possibly can. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I will say straight out, I really like virtual meetings. Yeah, I hear you. I'm a big fan of virtual meetings, but there are times when being, being face-to-face is very important. And, you know, there's only one way to really educate someone, and it's, it's to be talking to them. It's to be in the yeah. same room. Um, but... When we get a chance to to talk to a board, we get a chance to talk to the homeowners in a town hall meeting. It all starts to at least a little bit congeal, a little at least a little bit mm-hmm. makes sense that this is what the association is trying is is not even trying is required to do. You are, the association is required to buy this insurance thing, and by not by not allowing in a property loss that we've been discussing by not allowing the property loss component of the property loss to run its course, we actually create the other bucket problem, the other insurance bucket problem, which is liability insurance. We've now created a moment of negligence or breach of fiduciary duty or uh, breach of contract mm-hmm. that is going to lead to some legal aspect that, yeah, there is liability insurance for some of that, but it's a, it's a cost and, an, and, a, and a time and an issue that we could have avoided we just let the property loss happen yeah yeah i mean both of you kind of touched on something without really getting all the way there but we're talking about losses and the number of losses and the amount of those losses right and so typically what happens is the board of directors or the association is apprehensive about filing all of these claims or allowing homeowners to contact the insurance company directly to file, file claims because they need to protect the policy we need to we need to keep the claims low. We need to keep our loss runs low so that we can keep premiums down. So I was literally in the parking lot having this conversation with a board member. They have a hundred and twenty thousand dollar loss that the association is choosing to pay itself. Unbelievable. That because they don't want to file the claim. Now let's assume for a moment that I don't even know the premium on this. This is a board member of a community that I don't insure. So I don't know the cost of insurance. I do know it's roughly a 200 unit 
condo association. How old is the condo association? I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't have that. But let's just assume for a moment. On worst case scenario, this it's, is a $100,000 policy. Okay? Typically, when an insurance claim is filed, an insurance company removes a discount. That is, it moves a, re- a credit from the, from the premium for being claims-free, just like removes an interest, a point of interest from your credit card statement because you missed a payment, right? It's, it's about your ability to stay, keep your credit clear. If you have a claim, okay, we've been discounting your premium because you didn't have any claims. We're going to remove that discount because you had a claim. Typically, it's somewhere around 10%. I'm generalizing everything. Got it. So right. in this scenario, when you said there's a $100,000 policy, that means that the premium is $100,000, mm-hmm. right? And the association has been given this discount by the mm-hmm. carrier because there's a clean record. Mm-hmm. So if they file this $120,000 claim Correct. and get the benefit of $120,000 cash, they need to fix the building. Mm-hmm. The impact that it will likely have on their premium moving forward is to increase their premium from $100,000 to $110,000? That is correct. Which is essentially, I mean, if we're talking about budgets and cost of living increases, that would flow. But I think that what a lot of associations do is we have, and the reason why I asked you how old is this condominium community, is we have a 30-year-old or more condominium community that never put plumbing in the reserves there's and, history in here. And there's yes. and there's pinhole leaks. Yes. And there's slab leaks. And we have a $25,000 insurance deductible because we're, we're having all these claims because the pipes are starting to fail. And now we need to protect the policy because if we don't protect the policy, we're not going to be able to get insurance or we're going to end up in the surplus market. Exactly. So they worry about they worry about that all you know that, that giant fear of they're going to be canceled. Yes. Right? I'm scared of canceled and you should be. Yes. You should be very scared of being canceled. But you're not going to be canceled for a claim in general. There are things that happen where some insurance companies That's what say, insurance is for. I can't. But we bought insurance. It's, it's there. Or even better, the unit owners in this community paid an assessment, assessment paid premium for an insurance policy for them. Mm-hmm. And you're going to tell me I can't access that insurance policy. Then you're going to spend, if I'm in unit A, B, or C, and, and the damage was in unit Z, you're going to spend my money my assessment dollars that were put into the reserves or put into the bank accounts, you're going to spend my money to fix their property because you don't want to file an insurance policy or insurance claim on the policy that we already have in place that will spend this money for us. There's a, I mean, you're, that's, that's going to be super dramatic and bad. And the math was correct, $110,000 in our example. Mm-hmm. It's only for three years. So that's so, okay, so they're going to going to see $10,000 premium increase for three years. So it's effectively $30,000 it costs them to get $120,000 worth of benefit. Correct. Versus? Versus spending the $120,000. Correct. Right? But not only that, it's not just spending the $120,000. Now what, what else goes into it? You're dealing with the contractors. You're trying to put your management professional in the role of construction manager. You're utilizing your attorney to do all these... You're wasting. I always think what it's a funny. The next time? It's a, and and how do you know you're getting the right amount of money? I mean, I think it's. I always tell our clients, why do you think if you're going to self-insure, why do you think that you as a group of volunteer board members and your management professional are going to be able to adjust, remediate, and repair this loss more efficiently 
that farmer's insurance is going to be able to do that. And honestly, you're not adjusting it for $120,000 because you probably have a $500,000 plumbing line item <laughs> yeah. in your budget. Yeah. I mean, because you're because now you're dealing with the pipe repair, and if it's a slab leak, you're doing a reroute, and you're dealing with the mold remediation, and you're dealing with the build back, and management yeah. might be charging you extra because it's outside the contracts yeah. to be adjusting insurance claims. All of that to say, you bought an insurance policy. You bought an insurance, you bought insurance policy. policy. Let it do its job. Let it do its job. And if you're going to be canceled, right, it's because they, you have a multitude of claims, which gives you an indication that you as a board need to do a better job of what your board is supposed to be doing, maintaining assets. In, right? in this example, yeah. you need Maintaining to, yeah. assets. And the fear of getting canceled or a premium increase, I usually think it's in the minds of board members who think that their job erroneously is to keep assessments low. Yes. You know, oh, we can't have a premium increase to see the assessments go up another couple bucks a month. So what are we going to do? We're going to deplete our reserve account to try to pay for this. I mean, it's just it's just backwards, which is why I think on this issue, especially for condominium associations, I don't think that this subject can be taught enough. It, it can't. It can't. Every conver- every every um, national seminar, annual seminar should have a very deep dive into water losses and why it's important for us to use insurance the way it's supposed to be. And there's ways to mitigate this too, by the way. So we have we have this $120,000 claim and we're worried about what happens next. We're worried about what the insurance company is going to do for us. Well, we can say to the insurance company, okay, I understand that that just happened. Our deductible was only $5,000 because we haven't had any claims or we it's been in place forever and we never increased it. We've never had to worry about it. We will increase our deductible to $10,000. We will add a, a water damage specific deductible or we'll even raise the deductible higher. We will revise our CCNR so that we can exclude coverage on the inside mm-hmm. of the unit. We're going to make it a bare walls policy so that the unit owner, not only does unit owner have a maintenance responsibility to the interior fixtures, but also an insurance responsibility. Well, and, and I think too, I think that boards need to understand that in their desire to keep the insurance premium low and in their desire to keep the assessments low, they're shooting themselves in the foot and the result is the exact opposite because now you have multiple claims and now you're losing, you, eventually you are going to lose the insurance policy. Eventually yeah. you will end up in the surplus market. And you won't have any money left in the reserves. You're, you're, yourself you're exposing yourself to liability, mm-hmm. yep. And you're self-insuring, so because you keep having these plumbing leaks and because you keep self-insuring, your plumbing line item operating and reserve is increasing each year, which means your assessments are increasing each year. And at some point, you're going to have the special assessment. Okay. So it, 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 at some point, this all comes to roost. I mean, you, you can only defer for so long. Like, like I said at the beginning, you are as a board member, you are now charged with the operation of a multi-million dollar corporation. You can't just kick the can down the road. Right. You have to operate the community. You have to operate the corporation. Yes. That's your job. And if the corporation purchased a product for the benefit of its shareholders, that product needs to be accessed when it's triggered. And we need to give shareholders the benefit of that. Could, could you imagine a, a publicly traded company with shareholders that received some crazy lawsuit and all of the board said, oh, we're going to try to pay for this out of our own funds. Exactly. We're not going to use We're not going to issue dividends this year yeah. to the shareholders. We're going to, we're going to deplete the corporate bank account instead right. of the insurance policy that's going to defend us right. for no, free. Right? No, it would just, it would just never happen. So big picture, because I know this stuff is really, really technical, right? 
From a property insurance standpoint, the association is obligated to purchase this product for the benefit of property that the association maintains and repairs, as well as for the benefit of things that homeowners might maintain and repair because when all is said and done, it's the same pocket of money. It's the homeowner's money, and they're paying for the benefit of this insurance coverage, right? This, They're paying for the benefit to transfer this risk to an insurance carrier, and the, a lot, oftentimes it's a really boneheaded decision for board members to get in their mind and say, well, we can't use the insurance policy because that might be – so we're going to try to find these end runs around to pay for it ourselves. In that case, right, you're actually – you have chapped lips and you're just deciding to lick them. Right? You're, just, you're, you're just making the situation worse. So it's really important to understand how these policies operate. And I honestly think that even more so than attorneys in our industry, I think people like you, insurance professionals, are underutilized in explaining these, this issue to, to board members. Say that again. So, okay, I'm one more time. <laughs> Even more so than attorneys, I think insurance professionals such as yourself are the most underutilized because these things happen. They have all the time. Right, and we have managers that are fresh, managers that are even surprising. Those that are veteran, how does this operate? How does, in our experience, understanding how the insurance policies operate? Like you said, there's ways that you can tailor it for your. Yeah, let's increase our deductible for water damage claims to prevent you know multitude of claims filing that'll impact right our insurability moving forward. Let's adopt a water intrusion policy, right, where we can shift some of the risk onto the homeowners in the event that they don't tell us about a water leak until after an exclusion is triggered. There are these different things that you can do, mm-hmm. right. But you have to do them under the guidance of your insurance professional that lets you know, hey, this is how your product operates. This is when we need to use it, right? Yeah, there's, no, there's no charge to call you. No, you brought it up. I wasn't going to say it. I wasn't <laughs> going to say it. My hourly rate is zero. Your hourly, and, but see, you're there. And this is, I mean, this is the benefit that can be there. Should we file a claim? Should we not file the claim? Right? You're there to be that as an asset. So a lot of times you imagine, what should we do? I don't know. The board member wants to do this. These are volunteers. Yep. These are volunteers, and regardless of what their background is, they're volunteers that are elected to manage the assets of a multi-million dollar corporation. And under the law, what are these volunteers supposed to do? Rely on experts. Wow. Call your expert. Call on experts. They are working with the Berg Insurance Agency to advise them as to their insurance needs. Right. So when an insurance issue pops up, who should they call? They should call you. <laughs> they should <laughs> no, call. Just, yeah, they should, course, call they should me. call the reserve guy, right? Oh, they shouldn't yeah. even call the lawyer necessarily, right? It should be an insurance professional. Nine times out of ten, the first call goes to the attorney and the attorney goes who's your insurance professional exactly right? exactly because that the call should be to us yeah okay, that's what so, we're here for so i can feel the listeners out there saying okay so if the association is primary and if the association has to file this claim we have no choice this is the homeowner's policy they're paying for it we have to file the claim but this was their ice banker line mm-hmm. who pays the deductible aha aha a magic question keeping in mind that the deductible isn't a bill it's not an invoice. It's not a chargeback. It's not a deductible. It's a deductible. Or to, to change the, the, the tense of the word, it is an amount of money that is deductible from the payment of a covered loss. That's why it's called a deductible. This is deductible by the insurance company. And, oh, by the way, we're going to do it. We're going to, because that's the agreement we made. When you said you would pay us dollars of premium and we would accept your risk, you will transfer it to us, the agreement we made was we will also deduct from any paid claim this amount and you will be responsible for that repair cost because it's not, it is not a bill we can hand to somebody else to be paid. It is an amount of leftover repair cost. Got it. So I'm a unit owner. Yep. I have damage in my unit. File a claim on the association's insurance policy. It was primary. Dude. They pick it up. $50,000 loss, and there's a $10,000 deductible. Amazing. 
So what does that mean then? The carrier will then say you have to pay us 10 before we'll give you 50? Nope, because it's not a retention. It's not an amount of money that you have to spend in order to trigger coverage. That's a liability thing, a DNO thing. Got it. And property loss, it is an amount of money that we're going to we're going to give you a fifty thousand dollar check HOA, not owner, not unit owner, but mm-hmm. HOA because they're the insured. Mm-hmm. We're going to give you a fifty thousand dollar check. Oh wait, we're going to deduct ten thousand dollars. Here's forty thousand uh-huh. dollars for you to use towards put towards the repair of this covered property okay so i like it so okay i'm a homeowner have fifty thousand dollars in damage filed the claim sure homeowner board member we listened to our insurance agent mike berg super smart guy we filed the claim we know how this is supposed to work it's a fifty thousand dollar claim we got the check from the insurance carrier here you go wait a second this is only forty thousand dollars yes we have a ten thousand dollar deductible but i have fifty thousand dollars worth of damage we understand that homeowner right so we talked about where we're going to get the money. We got, of this $50,000, we got $40,000 from the HOA insurance company. And it's primary. It came first. Here's the forty grand. Mm-hmm. we are going to put that towards all these things. We're left over with $10,000 to put towards the repair cost of my unit. I have an HO6 policy, a condominium unit owner's policy, that has $10,000 worth of insurance in it. Ooh. I get my money, the rest of the money I need to fix this damaged property from my insurance company, which is secondary. Now, I probably have my own agreement with my own insurance company that has a deductible. So my insurance company is going to say, your deductible is $1,000. Here's $10,000. Oh, wait. We're going to deduct $1,000 because that's the agreement we made. You're going to cover $1,000 of this loss, this covered uh-huh. loss. Here's $9,000 to put towards your repairs, and then you're going to need to come up with that last 1000 because that's the deal. Got it. I understand that. Okay, well, let me change the hypothetical a little bit because I'm the homeowner now, and I'm really peeved. Okay. I'm peeved because the reason why I have $50,000 worth of damage in my unit is not because of my ice maker line. My ice maker line's flawless. It's amazing. It's a steel braided <laughs> I've seen it, actually. It's, it's pretty sexy. It's, it's great. It's great. The problem why I'm displaced from my unit and I have $50,000 worth of damage is because of the common area pipe in the wall, right. something that the association is responsible to repair and replace. So I have $40,000. Thank you for that. But there's still $10,000 left that I need to repair because of your association pipe. Because of the failure of an association pipe, but not because of anything the association did. I understand. But the failure of an association pipe, why do I have to come out of pocket at all? Because there's a common area pipe that caused the damage to my unit. Well, from an insurance perspective, the insurance company doesn't care necessarily who maintains that pipe. Mm-hmm. The, the pipe burst, covered loss. Mm-hmm. $50,000 in this example. Here's your $40,000 check. Mm-hmm. Homeowner can still file a claim against their HO6. Homeowner has insurance for the property. Now, I think what Steve's issue is, why should I be filing anything against my insurance policy? Because I didn't do anything wrong, and it wasn't my pipe that caused the loss. For the same reason why the association has to file a claim against the association's insurance policy for the homeowner's ice maker line. They have nothing to do insurance and maintenance. It doesn't matter whose fault it is. It's not about fault. Mm -hmm. It's not about fault. We don't want to make a property loss a liability claim. It's not about fault. It is about what happened. It happened because a pipe burst and water came out of that pipe. Mm -hmm. The property that was damaged is covered. Here's your payment. So what would you tell a client, right? Let's say it's my board, right? I'm Steve, the homeowner that's been displaced because of this common area pipe, right? And I have to file a claim on my insurance policy to get the remaining 10, right? Mm -hmm. 
But I go to the board and I tell the board and I give them a sob story, all these types of things. I have some friendlies on the board. They're like, you know what? We feel so bad for you, Steve. What we're going to do is we're going to we're going to pay you the additional ten, meaning the association is going to take money out of its bank account because you didn't do anything wrong, Steve. You got four little kids at home. That must have been such a challenge for you to do that. By the way, we'll pay for your meal out or whatever the deal is, right? You get corporate directors that are because they're neighbors, right? It's a community association. Yes, we're a corporate board, but we're neighbors. We're human beings. Steve, that's terrible that that happened to you. So here's the additional $10,000. What would you think? What would you say to that? Today's episode is brought to you by Altera Assessment Recovery. Altera provides comprehensive attorney-supervised assessment collection services to community associations throughout California. Trust us with your collection needs. We'll get the job done, done right, and as quickly and efficiently as possible. Altera Assessment Recovery. We're the collection team you've been looking for. Well, I'd say talk to your attorney before you do. <laughs> um, because, you know, you're exposing yourself to something else now. Um, first of all, you need to be able to say, this is, yes, my, my heart hurts for you, but this isn't, it's not right for me to give Steve that money. Because I can't do it for Jane and Tommy and Dave and whoever else comes with the same sob story mm-hmm. later. I'm not going to be able to do that, number mm-hmm. one. Number two, I'm giving Steve money from everybody else in the community. Exactly. That's not okay. It's not okay. That's not okay. So this is the agreement the association made to, in the best interest of the community, this is the insurance policy we bought, and... This is, these are the conditions of it. And you, Steve, have, a, have an opportunity to buy insurance. Think about it, or think about it this way. We just, you bought an insurance policy through the HOA that paid for property that you maintain. Mm-hmm. You bought, this is an insurance policy you paid for. You got the benefit of this. Exactly. Right? So, and we did that for you. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of You're welcome. Yeah. Right? And now you've got a $10,000 exposure rather than a $50,000 exposure. You've got a ten thousand dollars exposure. All you have to do is buy ten thousand dollars worth of protection for yourself. Exactly. That's that's where I'm, I'm sorry you're short ten grand, but that's just kind of how it's going to be. Yeah. So we we started this whole conversation with the average person just doesn't understand insurance in general. I, I pay my premium. I have this insurance product, and when there's a loss, I call my agent and they take care of everything for me. Right. Nobody reads the the big stack of paper that comes with the insurance policy, right? So how, how do we distill this down for the boards and the homeowners to understand the types of insurance that they need to have, the type of insurance that the association has, the types of insurance that the homeowners need to get, how we respond to a claim on both sides, how the reporting requirements of the homeowner, how the association is going to respond to it, who's going to pay the deductible, how do we distill that down into something that's digestible for the homeowners to understand? So on the insurance side of things, because there's a legal side of that question as well, but on the insurance side of things, I'm hopeful that the board is working with an insurance professional who understands how they can advise the board and advise the membership on what their exposures are in a very simple way. There are a number of insurance brokers who will write very simple two-page items front and back that can be posted on a, on a bulletin board and, and uploaded to a web page. There's a lot of ways that we can help minimize the technicality and make it something that, that a homeowner can understand. This is what the association has purchased. This is what you are exposed to, and these are your options to, to protect mm-hmm. that. And so working with a, an insurance professional and 
I mean, in all candor, if you are a board of directors who's working with an insurance professional that cannot provide you with that advice, that cannot provide you with that service, change professionals. Yeah. Because that's not a professional. Well, I think that's the bigger the bigger issue there. And I could distill it down as well, kind of the way that I, I look at it. You've been helpful for me in that regard. But um, there's difference between looking at insurance as though it's a commodity, right? And realizing, no, there's an actual service provider sure that's, that, that's there. to. I mean, yeah, I can give you a, a, a legal contract or an opinion letter or something. Like that. That's a commodity. But the actual advising, that's really the value that we add. Right to these volunteers, right? This is we're going to guide, help you understand these things because you're, you're be a board member one day a month at the meeting and then go back to living your life. You're not supposed to be worried about these technicalities or thinking about how you're mm-hmm. to self-insure. The way I like to explain you know, insurance and correct me if I'm wrong is, hey, there's risks, right, of damage mm-hmm. that we can't really mitigate 100. percent Right? We can't control whether or not a pipe is going to burst in 10 years or whether or not a tenant's going to be in a building and start a fire. Or, we can't do that. So how do we how do we mitigate that risk? Right. What we do is we transfer it to the insurance carrier. The association transfers a good amount of risk, right, in compliance with the CCNR as we cover all these different perils, right? You homeowners, what you need to do is you need to transfer whatever risk is left over that the association might not cover for you onto your own insurance carrier. So if we file a claim against the association's policy and it's too small because our deductible is too high, right? There's no coverage. Well, then that's why you homeowners say, okay, well, I try to transfer it there and there's no coverage. So now I have my HO6 policy that's going to cover it, right? So when we look at the property damage standpoint, board members understand there is risks inherent in operating this development. We transfer those risks to an insurance carrier. And what we do is we utilize that product from the insurance carrier in ways that are smart under the guidance of an insurance professional and when necessary, legal counsel. Yep. We shouldn't need to get creative because we're not spending our, and that's the same, you know, to your point, the board member says, well, I want to pay $10,000 to Steve because I feel bad for him. Well, board member, you're not paying your own money. Right, that's not You're paying problem. everybody else's right. money. So if that product is not there, if that coverage is not there for Steve, well, Steve had an obligation to transfer the, the remainder of the risk to his HO6 policy. That's where he needs to go. Mm-hmm. And that's a resource that I think that many associations and managers forget that they have is that the, the agent is available we put the annual disclosure in with our our dis- annual disclosure package, and we tell all the homeowners, "This is the insur- these are all the insurance policies. This is what's available to you." But we don't tell anybody how to access it. We don't tell them anything about you know responsibility of deductibles or anything like that. We just kind of it's just out there until the loss happens. And and I think, I mean, I've the the two the one page or two pages that I used to get from the agents that I could stick on the back of a newsletter or put into a billing insert yeah. or you know a month after the annual disclosure goes out you know yeah I told you what the insurance policies were now here's now here's a how you use it I think is is so much beneficial and then you've got what do we do in the event of a loss how do we how do we define the procedure for the association for the board of directors for the homeowners water loss procedures mm-hmm. uh, water damage procedures, that sort of stuff, deductible allocation, deductible um, resolutions. How are we going to disseminate the information to the membership that helps them understand where their exposure really is and what their steps are when this thing, if this thing happens? Yeah. So that's, you know, that's kind of, um, so we started out talking about two buckets. Mm-hmm. That's the main property bucket. Right. Well, you probably, the major- I would assume the majority of the claims that you see are property damage claims. Oh, are water damage claims and liability Suits, trip and fall claims. Trip fall. Okay, so that's kind of the other bucket, right? That's the other type of insurance that we purchase, and it's there to guard against 
exposure from liability, not exposure from a peril, from a fire or flood or something like that, but from liability, meaning that there's negligence, meaning that somebody did something wrong. More to it, the liability from the exposure to the allegation that somebody did something wrong. Got it. I didn't necessarily do something wrong, but somebody feels I did, and so I'm going to have to come out of pocket. If we go back to the risk transfer conversation, I'm going to have to go out of, come out of pocket to pay my attorney or to pay an attorney money to defend me. Well, I might have transferred that exposure to somebody else. I have transferred that exposure of having to defend myself to spend money on my defense to an insurance company. Well, let's talk about different types of liability claims just to kind of distill it down for people because I think that the the most common, what, what most of us are used to, is the trip and fall, the slip and fall. We had the, the sprinkler valve that has been flooded right. and, you know, it was dark and somebody slipped on it or the raised sprinkler head and somebody tripped over it. The dog bites. But when we started this conversation, we were talking about property claims. Liability came up just in that conversation and in the board carrying out its duties and whether or not we're, we're properly fulfilling those duties. So there's different types of liability claims Absolutely. that an association can be exposed to. You said the two main ones, um, property damage liability and bodily injury. The property damage liability is your example of the sprinkler. The sprinkler line in the common area is is spraying into my unit. And it's been doing so for a while, and I've been telling the association that you haven't, and you haven't done anything about it. My property has been damaged. You are potentially negligent for the maintenance of the sprinkler line and therefore liable for the damage it did, right? That's property damage liability. Bodily injury liability, trip and fall. There's a raised piece of concrete. I told you about the raised piece of concrete. I tripped over the raised piece of concrete. I didn't catch myself. I landed on my face, and now you are responsible for my injuries because you were negligent in the maintenance of the common area of that sidewalk. Personal injury, advertising injury, those are you hurt my feelings kinds of things. Um, they don't they don't very often play a part in an association's um, an association's exposure. However, newsletters would potentially call, fall into a personal advertising injury. Um, what about Facebook? Coverage. Facebook, something like that would would certainly be uh, potential for libel slander issues to to pop up, um, and then there's the DNO or the professional liability insurance, which is for insurance for the board of directors operating the community. So when we're talking liability, I mean those claims. I mean they come up. They don't seem to come up too often. What what exactly does liability do? Does I mean does liability? I know there's a duty to defend. Sure. Does it pay out on a loss? The most of our insurance policies are set up with our defense cost outside the limit of liability. So an insurance policy for an association is typically a million dollars per occurrence or $2 million per occurrence. Um, in California, we have a requirement an association under 100 units has to have $2 million worth of per occurrence general liability and, and $500,000 of DNO. And an association of 100 or more has to have $3 million of per occurrence liability or a million dollars of DNO. The general liability, that's the slip, fall, trip, fall, bodily injury, property damage liability. But that limit is there to pay judgment and settlement. The defense costs are outside the limit of liability. So the cost of the attorneys, the courts, the legal fees are up to the insurance company. It's scary to say it, but ultimately they're unlimited because they're not eating up at the per occurrence liability that we bought. 
that's to pay the judgment or settlement. But I think that that is an important point, is that the cost of the defense is solely up to the insurance company, because I think that one thing that grates on board members is that the insurance company will pick up the claim, and they will fulfill that duty to defend, and then at some point, they will decide that they want to settle. Yes. And sometimes you have associations and you have board members who get very caught up in the principle mm-hmm. and they understand that they didn't do anything wrong True. and that it's on the homeowner who's filing the claim to prove the negligence <clears throat> and we didn't do anything. So why is the insurance company settling? I want to take this to the mat. Sure. Absolutely. And, and, and when we get to the mat, we'll realize that the association did nothing wrong. Right. And that happens sometimes. The insurance company has been known to, you know, We'll invoke the Godfather to go to the mattresses, mm-hmm. you know, to go to the nth degree to defend the association. They do that when they absolutely know that no, no matter what, we're going to get a. Not only are we going to win this, we're going to get a de- defense verdict, which means we're going to get all our money back. Yeah. At some point, though, and the reason that insurance companies don't necessarily—it's possible to do—but don't necessarily allow an insured to pick their counsel. They don't say. Tinley Law Group is my general counsel. Therefore, I want Tinley Law Group to represent me in this in this claim. Um, is because it makes sense to not make it personal. It makes sense because this is going to be at some point a business decision. It's going to be a business decision on the part of the insurance company who is looking at the math and saying, "Yeah, I can defend this. I can go for another month or a year. I'm going to spend X." We might settle out for a little bit. We might settle out. We might end up winning this. We're still going to spend a lot of money doing that. When I can shut it down now, they'll accept a small percentage of what we're ultimately going to expend going to that nth degree. So it makes business sense for us to cut bait. And I, and I think that that's the important part that I think associations need to understand is Tinley Law Group is the general counsel, is the legal counsel for the association. Insurance Defense Counsel is just that. It's Insurance Defense Counsel, and they're being paid for by the insurance company. And so in as much as they're defending the association, their client is not necessarily the association. There's a conflict of interest if, if a general counsel takes on the defense. I mean, it, it's, it's hard not to imagine that, I mean, of course, not Tinley Law Group. They would never do this. No. But an insurance, but an, an attorney would keep pushing, keep kicking that can down the road because those are billable hours. Well, yeah, it's just remarkable to me. We've seen some clients that have just said, oh, yeah, we're involved in this lawsuit. We're spending all this money. Well, who's defending you? And they'll say, oh, it's our HOA attorney. And I said, well, wait a second. Why are they, huh? Why are they defending you? Yeah. Because well, they're our attorney. Well, why didn't you tender it to your insurance carrier? They'll pay for your defense. That's part of the product that you pay for. You've transferred risk to your carrier. Exactly. In the event of a liability claim, the carrier will assign an attorney at the carrier's expense and defend you. And to your point, the carrier might look at it and say, this is a $100,000 lawsuit. That's what it's going to take us to prove that the association did nothing wrong. Or we can pay this homeowner, the plaintiff, $10,000 to go away now. If you're the insurance carrier, right, you'd be breaching the fiduciary duty that you have to your corporate stakeholders by saying, no, we're going to, uh, we're going to spend $100,000 just because of the principal mm-hmm. rather than spending $10,000 to make this go away now. And to your point, Ramon, a lot of boards get caught up in the emotion and the principle of it, but it's really not, your association purchased a product, accessed the product, by virtue of this product, the carrier is going to control the ultimate. The only thing that you need to know and tell your members is that it's being defended by insurance and they're going to indemnify, meaning pay any settlement or pay any judgment that's entered against the association, right, within the limits of the policy. And again, Absolutely. I think and again, I think that boards think about those loss rents. 
And liability, to my understanding, liability claims don't have the same impact on the loss runs as the property, do they? Like what you hear so far? Make sure to subscribe to the Tinley Talks podcast at TinleyLaw.com and never miss an episode. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now let's get back to the show. Um, not, not initially, but when they show up repeatedly, repeatedly, if we've got a troublesome, do. if we have a troubles, yeah. troublesome board. Um, and the other thing is if we have a liability claim, forget professional liability DNO claim, but if we have that bodily injury or that property damage claim, the question from the insurance company is going to be, what are you doing now to avoid this, to try to avoid this happening again? You had a trip and fall in the common area. Are you looking at all the common area? to make sure the, the concrete is ground down. You had a, a property damage liability for that sprinkler that's shooting at us. Have you gone through with your con, with your landscaper and looked at all the sprinkler lines? We have a community in San Clemente that has five-step up risers to, to the front doors of, of the buildings. The risers are going up through these planters. And there's a sprinkler line that pops up, and a sprinkler head pops up, and it washed a bunch of soil onto uh, onto the sidewalk and onto these steps homeowner or a, a, actually a food delivery person not even somebody that's related to the community goes to the space slips gets hurt sues the association for the injuries they sustained general liability claim the association was aware of this thing because they were notified by the homeowner in the unit the adjacent unit the manager called the landscaper and said, hey, you need to go fix this. The manager didn't follow up. The, the landscaper never fixed it. So the problem never went away. Now we have a liability claim because we were negligent. How were we negligent as a board of directors? We were negligent because we didn't ask our manager, hey, can you confirm that this was fixed? Or we didn't ask the landscaper, hey, did you confirm that this was fixed? There was a moment in that, you know, that's a real-life claim, there was a moment in that claim where the insurance company was looking at the management company and saying, hey, why didn't you follow up on the job that you were asked to do? That led to a, yes, well, the management company is named as an additional insured on the general liability and the DNO policies, so if they get, if we transfer this, we're going to be defending them anyway. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we might as well do so it. So the insurance carrier is involved anyway. So right. just, just kind of on this point, though, because I can see a lot, you know, management professionals, we're bored, getting scared, holy smokes, what does this mean? Like, I can we can we can get hit hard if I I leave an open action item or something along those and and yes I mean in theory yes that opens you up to exposure you don't want to see people get injured but this all comes to a broader point right it's impossible to mitigate all of these different types of risk which is kind of the, this is why we have insurance right and this is why we talk to our legal counsel about and we talk to our insurance professional about the business judgment rule mm-hmm. this is why we do everything we can to obtain the advice of experts, to act in good faith and in the best interest of our membership. Yeah. If something happens, and you just said it, we can't possibly know everything that could possibly happen, nor can we possibly anticipate and how, how we would mitigate everything that yeah. could possibly happen. So we are going to do everything we can in the best interest of our community. And if something happens, we have an insurance policy, we have an insurance carrier that will most likely step in and give us some help. And it's much better for the insurance company that we did all of these other things because the insurance company can say, well, yeah, or take that, that soil example. If, if that had been followed up on, 
now we can look at the man, the landscaper, and say you didn't fix the, you didn't do the job that you said you you mm-hmm. did. Or you know, we can we can look back to any any number of moments and say we did everything we could. We did everything we could, and something's bad still happened. I'm really sorry. That's why we have insurance. Mm-hmm. It's directors and officers insurance is directors and officers errors and omissions. It's not directors and officers. I chose not to do something insurance. Mm-hmm. It is I'm. Oh my gosh, we we overlooked that. We missed that. It was something that just didn't occur to us. And here's everything we did to try to to work on everything that we were exposed to or we were worried about, and we just didn't know. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Let's talk about how we can clean this up. So, Mike, can you talk a little bit about the claims process for both liability and directors and officers? Because with a property damage claim, I mean, it's pretty easy, right? There was a fire. There was a pipe that burst. There was a, there was something happened. And so now we're going to call the insurance company. But with liability and DNO, we're talking about lawsuits predominantly. And I can tell you as a manager, I got threatened to be sued multiple times most days of the week. Right. The grand majority of those threats of lawsuit did not actually turn into a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. So I know that with liability, that notification needs to be made as soon as possible or as soon as you're put on notice because it can trigger which policy is going to pick up and how that and whether or not that policy is going to pick up. But if I sent if I sent every threat of a lawsuit to you when it happens and you tendered that every time it happened, the insurance company would be like, yeah, we, I, we're not going to insure you anymore. You're, yeah. you're right. So, yeah. So the two different liability policies that we're talking about, general liability policy and the DNO policy, have different uh, coverage forms. And the carrier that is triggered or is to address a loss is different for – there's different terms to that for each policy. In both policies, there is language that requires the association, requires the insured, to inform the carrier immediately upon notice. To inform the carrier immediately upon getting the knowledge that there is this issue. So in history, back in the day, if you will, there there was this concept of, I want to put the carrier, especially when it comes to a DNO issue, I want to put the carrier on notice. I don't want you to file a claim. Don't talk to anybody. I just want you to put, I want to put you on notice of a potential claim. 15 years ago, I might have said, thank you, Ramona. Thank you for that information. I'm going to go ahead and put it in the file, make a file note that we're on notice of a potential claim, but, but we're, not going to, we're not going to tell the insurance company. Today, because things happened between 15 years ago and today, that put not only the insured in threatening positions and terrible positions when it comes to insurance, but the insurance broker for not taking that information and doing necessarily what might have been most important, most conservative, which is tell the insurance company. So today, in order to put a carrier on notice, we actually have to tender that to the insurance company. A claim number has to is, is assigned and an adjuster is assigned to do a preliminary investigation. Then it's left. It just stays open for notice only. Nobody's touching a thing. What the insured has done, what the manager has done for the association, is taken that responsibility of what do I do and given it to the insurance professional. Nine times out of ten, we're going to say, have you talked to your attorney? Let's make sure that, that we're on the same page here. What, how, how realistic is this threat? Yeah. And if it's in writing, if it's in an email, it's realistic. It, 
that's send it to somebody. Let's talk. But you've taken that responsibility from what do I do for what do I do next? And you've given it to the insurance professional whose responsibility, whose job it is to advise their insured on what they're going to do next. Now it's my responsibility, my professional responsibility to do what's right for my insured. And that advice is going to be, I suggest we tender this to the carrier for notice only. The carrier is going to assign a assign a claim number and an adjuster. We're going to get a couple of phone calls, but nothing's never, nothing's really going to be done about it. And it's just going to be stay. It's just going to stay open until sometime in the future, a decision is going to be made. When we do that to the insurance company, the insurance company is now the one holding the ball. If they choose to close the claim, that's up to them. They might choose to say, you know what this, yeah, this threat was, it seemed imminent at the time, but nothing's come of it. It's six months, a year down the road. We're going to go ahead and close this. If something else pops up, here's a letter. If something else pops up, let me know and we'll do it. Okay, well, Mike, we notify the carrier. And now, even though nothing's going to come of this, we think this is a baseless lawsuit, but it's in writing, mm-hmm. right? We we're doing what you told us to do. We've got this on our loss history. We've got so many crazies in our community. Now we've got six or seven potential legal action threats, right? Mm-hmm. It's on our loss history. What does that do for our premiums? Initially, not much for notice-only claims. It's when they start being becoming active. So your responsibility as a, as a board of directors working with your legal counsel is, what is everybody screaming about? Why, why are they constantly having the same issue? Mm-hmm. We, need to, we need to talk to the membership about what, what this is, or these claimants, about what this issue is so we can resolve it. Mm-hmm. Well, we it need to be- work together. It, many times, though, it's it's because you have a special group of particular homeowners, and, and you know. And if you have if you have a very related issue that's coming up from different people, the carriers will put it into one. Mm-hmm. It'll become one loss, and we're going to spend some money on it to to defend you to to protect the association. If it's again, if it's some nuisance thing, and that happens. So that so, happens. so the point is, you know. It, if you get notified that there's going to be a, a potential lawsuit, a potential liability claim, or a potential DNO claim, tender it. Don't don't wait to get don't wait to get served the the litigation papers. Tender it as soon as you've been put on notice. It protects the association. You yes. have greater likelihood of that loss that that claim being picked up by the insurance company. And until and unless it's actually paid out. It's not really reflective on your loss history. It's on there, but it's not a negative per se. Right. And, and so the, the follow-up to that issue is we, I've, if I want to shop my insurance, if I want to look at different carriers to provide, let's say, the DNO policy, the new carrier is going to say, hey, what's this about? There's, there's an explanation. There's a narrative that goes into, look, these are the, here's the emails the, the manager has received. These are the things that they're addressing. Here's, um, here's, here's when we were notified immediately. You know, it's, it's something that's kind of not that big of a deal. It may not be in the best interest of the community to shop its insurance at that point. It's probably in the best interest of the community to leave that DNO carrier alone. 
So that's a nuance. Do do next? That's a nuance there. Again, this is super technical stuff. This is insurance 101, but that's a nuance that's interesting to me. Basically, what I'm hearing is, well, if you've got notice of a bunch of potential claims, it might not be in your best interest to try to shop your, in this case, your, your liability policy that we're talking about. Because keep it with that same carrier who understands what's going on. A new carrier might look at you differently and decide to exclude it or price you differently. So this is a nuance that we couldn't expect management professionals or board members to know, but who would know about this nuance? Hopefully the insurance, the insurance professional. professional, right, yeah. which goes to my broader point, which is why I'm saying these are technical things. Yeah. These are technical things. There's a multitude of variables. All the different regulations change all the time. How to adjust deductibles. All these different types of things. And sometimes we'll get called to do this, and you're right. Attorneys say, who's your insurance professional? Right. Who's your insurance professional, right? This is the service that you're there to do. You're not there just to price a premium for people. Well, and the, and the, the grass isn't always greener because it's cheaper, because because it was a less expensive piece of sod. I mean, it's, it, it's not necessarily in the best interest of your community to constantly be shopping your insurance. There are reasons to do it. I totally respect that. There are, there's absolutely a reason for an insurance for the HOA to look at what the market says three to five years. That's a, that's a fiduciary duty. We got to make sure we're doing this. But think about what a homeowner does in a board of directors with a board of directors meeting. And I, I don't want to sound like I'm a little whiny insurance guy, but think about what a board of directors does with respect to insurance and insurance premium on a daily basis. That is, find me the cheapest insurance versus what they do at home, where they've got the same insurance provider that their dad actually brought them in on because that guy's been always been there and he's always taken care of me and he's always yeah you know premium's gone up a little bit but I know I can get a hold of that guy and he's always going to answer my questions mm-hmm. the the difference in how boards of directors act sometimes in in the decisions that they're making for the benefit of someone else when it's not the same decision they would make for themselves is a little disconcerting at times well, what's interesting to me is, you know, while while I'm listening to you make these recommendations, the vast majority of the CCNRs that I have seen over the years, within those insurance, within that insurance section, there is usually a requirement that the board of directors conduct an annual insurance review. Yes. Right? And that doesn't mean that you shop out the insurance every year. That means that you review your insurance, right? Review your policy, review your claims. And who says it has to be at renewal? Right. So in, put on your annual calendar a meeting with your insurance agent, have them pull your loss runs, have them pull your policy, and come in and just have a meeting with the board, talk about insurance. Let's, let, let's talk about it. Let's, let's, have, let's do an insurance review. Happy to do it. Do it every day. Let's, talk, let's do an insurance re- a review of your insurance policies and discuss the things we can address, change, things they need to worry about, new new policies on the board, cyber damage claims. Well, maybe we should increase the deductible or yeah. maybe we should deal with, right? These are the types of things that yeah. would be conducted. What have we, we had a lot of water damage claims. Okay, what have we done to mitigate that from happening again? Have we talked to a plumber? Have we talked to a contractor about replacing the pipes? Have we talked to our insurance guy about deductibles? Because that's what we're talking about from the insurance perspective is protecting the insurability of the association. The more claims are filed, the higher our premiums go, the chances, more chances of us potentially being canceled, which changes the cost of insurance, which puts us into a sur- surplus lines market. And that's just a dangerous place to be because pr- the price of insurance is three to five times what you've been paying. So with the insurance professional, it's let's talk about how we can maintain, protect the insurability of the community. But a lot of other stuff is going back to that risk management because we need to talk about how we can control our exposure. Now we need to talk about how we can address 
the pipes that are failing, mm-hmm. how we can address the drain lines that keep getting clogged by roots, tree roots. Mm-hmm. That those are maintenance issues that we need to entertain, and they will absolutely help us with our insurability. Got it. And again, that's at no cost. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll say it this way: by buying an insurance policy, I got paid. I got a commission for selling that insurance policy. Invite me to a board meeting. Mm-hmm. Let you add the value. So the CCNR say on an annual basis, the board of directors shall conduct a review of the association's insurance policies. By and large. It doesn't say on an annual basis, the board of directors shall shop insurance policies to make sure that they find the cheapest premium available on the market, notwithstanding the amount of coverage or the service that's going to be provided by by the professional. I know I'm making a joke of it, but... I'm glad you're saying it and not me. Well, I mean, because honestly, right, in in our job, what we try to do as as lawyers, right, and I think especially in this because we work with volunteers, right, there's a lot of times, in fact, most of the times I do now, right, when I'm having conversations with clients is I'm trying to convince them not to do something, right, that I think is going to be problematic for the corporation that's my client. Even though as an attorney, I can say, yeah, let's let's stir up a fight here. We'll make a bunch of billable hours. We'll do those types of things. It's beneficial for me. Right. My job to really do ethically, right, and where I enjoy working in this area with volunteers rather than you know big corporations is because we can add value by saying, listen, let's not step on a rake here. Understand what your job is, what your job is not. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. You're going to be spending everybody's money. It's not a good thing to do, right? In these circumstances with these board members, I find myself time and time again saying, you don't understand how your insurance policies operate. Management. You guys are making this thing so much difficult, more difficult than you can. Call your insurance professional. Who's, do you know? Why don't you know? Call them. They're not helpful. Find someone who is helpful. By and large, right, the more, especially in condominium associations, when there's disputes over property damage claim, legal is less of a significant player than, in, than the insurance professional. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the, you're going back to a property loss. Yeah. yeah. It's rarely involves legal until you didn't do the thing you should have done in the first place. It becomes a liability. Yeah. It yeah. gets to legal when the board said, no, we're not filing a claim on right. our policy because the homeowner now, now we're defending a liability claim. Right. Right. So, I mean, and there's, you know, there's a lot, like I said, there's lots of things that an insurance company can help with. You're volunteers. You're not expected to know everything about insurance. Managers are not expected to know everything about insurance. That's why we have insurance professionals. And that's why the governing documents expect there to be an annual insurance review so that you bring that professional into a board meeting, review the policies, review the loss history, let the insurance agent make the best recommendation for the association in how to manage that policy. Our goal is to help the manager know enough to be able to answer the question for the board in a, in a way that sounds a little like this. Here's what I know, but that's not the whole story. Let me ask the professional. Let me get back to you. Or, as my dad once said, I don't know. The most important the most important question you can ask, Michael, the most important question you can ask in your career. I don't know, but I'll find out. Perfect. Thanks, Mike, for being here today. Thank you. I know you've been a resource to our firm as well, even educating our attorneys uh, about some of these complicated issues. And I'm surprised I learned something here today uh, as well with the nuances of things. So you're, cool. the, you're the gift that keeps on giving. Thank you, Stephen. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you for listening. We'd also like to thank Mike Berg for your time and expertise. Make sure to visit our website at tinleylaw.com if you haven't already, where we break down this episode and link to our library article, Water Damage Claims in Your Condo Association. Then stay tuned for our next episode. To share or subscribe to the Tinley Talks podcast, visit us at tinleylaw.com. There you can find links to everything discussed in this episode, locate helpful resources, check out other episodes, and submit questions for future topics. 
and be sure to tune in next month for our next episode. As always, the views and opinions expressed by the podcast, its presenters and guests do not constitute legal advice. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast, please consult with your association's legal counsel. This is Tinnelly Talks presented by Tinnelly Law Group, your community, your counsel.